0: Hi, guys, welcome to Bookworm Jenny, where we are reading through The Lightning Thieves by Rick Warden. I'm not sure the proper pronunciation, but that's okay. Um, if you like reading along with me and going on these cool little adventures, make sure you hit the like or subscribe button so you can be up to date when all the cool new videos are coming out. With that being said, let's jump into chapter five. I play b-nickel with the horse. I had weird dreams full of barnyard animals. Most of them wanted to kill me. The rest wanted food. I must have woken up several times, but what I heard and saw made no sense. So I just passed out again. I remember laying in a soft bed being spoon-fed something that tasted like buttered popcorn, only it was pudding. The girl with curly blonde hair hovered over me, smirking as she scraped drips off my chin with a spoon. When she saw my eyes open, she asked, what will happen at the summer sosis? I managed to croak, what? She looked around as if afraid someone would overhear. What's going on? What was stolen? We've only got a few weeks. I'm sorry, I mumbled. I don't know. Somebody knocked on the door and the girl quickly filled my mouth with pudding. The next time I woke up, the girl was gone. A husky blonde dude, like a surfer, stood in the corner of the bedroom, keeping watch over me. He had blue eyes, at least a dozen of them, on his on his cheeks, his forehead, the backs of his hands. came around for good there was nothing weird about my surroundings except that they were nicer than i was used to i was sitting in a deck chair on a huge porch gazing across a meadow at green hills in the distance the breeze smelled like strawberries there was a blanket over my legs a pillow behind my neck all that was great but my mouth felt like a scorpion had been using it for for a nest My tongue was dry and nasty and every one of my teeth hurt. On the table next to me was a tall drink. It looked like iced apple juice with a green straw and a paper parasol stuck through mustache, moustache, moustache, Mayor cherry. I'm pretty sure I bet you that. My hand was so weak, I almost dropped the glass once I got my fingers around it. Careful, a voice said. Grover was leaning against the porch railing, looking like he hadn't slept in a week. Under one arm, he created a little box. He was wearing blue jeans, Converse high tops, and a bright orange t-shirt that said Camp Half-Blood. Just plain old Grover, not the goat boy. So maybe I had a nightmare. Maybe my mom was okay. We were still on vacation, and we stopped here at the, this big house for some reason, and you saved my life. Grover said. I, well, the least I could do. I went back to the hill. Thought you might want this. Reverently, he placed a shoebox in my lap. Inside was a black and white bull's horn, the base jagged from being broken off, the tips splattered with dried blood. It hadn't been a nightmare. The Minotaur, I said, "Um." Percy, it isn't a good idea. That's what they call him in Greek myths, isn't it? I The minotaur? Half man, half bull? Grover shifted uncomfortably. You've been out for two days. How much do you remember? My mom, is she really? He looked down. I stared across the meadow. There were groves of trees and winding streams. Acres of strawberries spread out underneath the blue sky. The valley was surrounded by rolling hills, and the tallest one, directly in front of us, was the one with the huge pine tree on top. Even that looked beautiful in the sunlight. My mother was gone. The whole world should be black and cold. Nothing should look beautiful. I'm sorry, Grover sniffled. I'm a failure. I'm I'm the worst cedar in the world. He moaned, stopping his foot so hard it came off, I mean, the converse high top came off. The inside was filled with styrofoam, except for a hoof-shaped hole. Oh, sticks, he mumbled. The thunder thunder rolled across the clear sky. As he struggled to get his hoof back in in the fake foot, I thought, well, that settles it. Grover was a satyr. I was ready to bet that if I shaved his curly brown hair, I'll find tiny horns on his head. But I was too miserable to care that satyrs existed, or even minotaurs. All that meant was my mom really had been squeezed into nothingness, dissolved into yellow light. I was alone, an orphan. I would have to live with smelly Gabe. No, that would never happen. I will live on the streets first. I will pretend I was 17 and join the army. I'll do something." Grover was still sniffling. The poor kid, poor goat, satyr, whatever, looked as if he expected to be hit. I said, it wasn't your fault. Yes, it was. I was supposed to protect you. Did my mother ask you to protect me? No, but it's my job. I'm a keeper. At least I was, but why? I suddenly felt dizzy, my vision swimming. Don't strain yourself, Grover said, here. He helped me hold my class and put the straw to my lips. I recalled at the taste because I was expecting apple juice. It wasn't that at all. It was chocolate chip cookies, liquid cookies, and not just any cookies. My mom's homemade blue chocolate chip cookies buttery and hot with the chips still melting. Drinking it. My whole body felt warm and good, full of energy. My grief didn't go away, but I felt as if my mom had just brushed her hand against my cheek, giving giving me a cookie the way she used to when I was small and told me everything was gonna be okay. Before I knew it, I drained the glass. I stared into it. Sure, I just had a warm drink, but the ice cubes hadn't even melted. Was it good? Grover asked. I nodded. Sorry, I said. I should have let you taste. His eyes got wide. No, that's not what I meant. I just wondered. Chocolate chip cookies, I said. My mom's, homemade. He sighed. And how do you feel? like I could throw Nancy Boba Fett a hundred yards. That's good, he said, that's good. I don't think you could risk drinking any more of that stuff. What do you mean? He took the empty glass from me gingerly as if it were dynamite and set it back on the table. Come on, Sharon and Mr. D are waiting. The porch wrapped all the way around the farmhouse. My legs felt wobbly trying to walk that far. Grover offered to carry the minotaur horn, but I held on to it. I paid for that souvenir the hard way. I wasn't gonna let it go. As we came around the opposite opposite end of the house, I caught my breath. We must have been on the north shore of Long Island, because on this side of the house, the valley marched all the way up to the river, which glittered about a mile in the distance between here and there. I simply couldn't process everything I was seeing. The landscape was dotted with buildings that looked like ancient Greek architecture—an open-air pavilion, an amphitheater, a circular arena. Except that they all looked brand new, their white marble columns sparkling in the sun. In a nearby sand pit, a dozen high school-aged kids and satyrs played volleyball. Canoes glided across a small lake. Kids in bright orange t-shirts like Grover's was chasing each other around a cluster of cabins nestled in the woods. Some shot targets at an archery range, others rode horse- horses down a wooded trail, and unless I was hallucinating, some of the horses had wings. Down at the end of the porch, two men sat across from each other at a car table. The blonde-haired girl, who spoon-fed me popcorn-flavored pudding, was leaning on the porch rail next to them. The man facing me was small but porky. He had a red nose, big watery eyes, and curly hair. So black it was almost purple. He looked like those paintings of baby angels. What do you call them? Hubbubs? No, cherubs. That's it. He looked like a cherub who turned middle age in a trailer park. He wore a tiger pattern Hawaiian shirt, and he wouldn't And he wouldn't fit right in in at one of Gabe and he would have fit right in at Gabe's poker parties, except I got the feeling this guy could have outgambled even my stepfather. That's mister D, Grover murmured to me. He's the camp director. Be polite. The girl, that's Annabeth Chase. She's just a camper. But she's been here longer than just about anybody. And you already know Sharon. He pointed at the guy whose back was to me. First, I realized he was sitting in a wheelchair. Then I recognized the tweed jacket, the thinning brown hair, the scraggly beard. Mr. Brunner? I cried. The line teacher turned and smiled at me. His eyes had the mischievous glint that sometimes glint they sometimes got in class when he pulled a pop quiz and made all the multiple choice answers B. Ah, good, Percy, he said. Now we have four for Pinocchi, Pinocchi. Ah. ah, he offered me a chair to the right of Mr. D who looked at me with bloodshot eyes and heaved a great sigh. Oh, I suppose I must say it. Welcome to half Camp blood Camp Half-Blood. There, now, don't expect me to be glad to see you. Uh, thanks? I scooted a little further away from him because if there was one thing I had learned from living with Gabe, it was how to tell when an adult has been hitting the happy juice. If Mr. D was a stranger to alcohol, I was a satyr. Annabeth, Mr. Burner called to the blonde girl. She came forward and Mr. Burner introduced us. This young lady nursed you back to health, Percy. Annabeth, my dear. Why don't you go check on Percy's bunk? We'll be putting him in cabin 11 for now. Anna Beth said, sure, Chiron, Chiron. She was probably my age, a couple of inches taller, and a whole lot more athletic looking. With her deep tan and her curly blonde hair, she was almost exactly what I thought a stereotypical California girl would look, like, except her eyes ruined the image. They were startling gray, like storm clouds. Pretty, but intimidating too, as if she was analyzing the best way to take me down in a fight. She glanced at the minotaur horn in my hand, then back at me. I imagined she was going to say, you kiddo minotaur, or wow, you're so awesome, or something like that. Instead, she said, you drool when you sleep. Then she sprinted off down the lawn, her blonde hair flying behind her. So. I said, anxious to change the subject. You uh, work here, Mr. Brunner? Not Mr. Brunner, that ex Mr. Brunner said. I'm afraid that was um, Pisternium. You may call me Sharon. Okay. Totally confused, I looked at the director. And Mr. D, does that stand for something? Mr. D stopped shuffling the cards. He looked at me like I just belched loudly. Young man, names are powerful things. You don't just go around using them for no reason. Oh, right. Sorry. I must say, Percy, Sharon Berner broke in, I'm glad to see you alive. It's been a long time since I made a house call to a potential camper. I hate to think I've wasted my time. House call? My year at Yancey Academy to instruct you. We have saters at most schools, of course, Keep it a lookout. But Grover alerted me as soon as he met you. He sent you with something special, so I decided to come upstate. I convinced the other Latin teacher to um, take a leave of absence. I tried to, remember, to be- remember the beginning of the school year. It seemed like so long ago, but I did have a fuzzy memory of there being another Latin teacher my first week at Yancey. Then without explanation, He had disappeared and Mr. Burner had taken the class. came to Yancey just to teach me? asked. Shira nodded. Honestly, I wasn't sure about you at first. We contacted your mother, let her know we were keeping an eye on you in case you were ready for Camp Half-Blood. But you still had so much to learn. Nevertheless, you made it here alive, and that's always the first test. Grover, Mr. D. said impatiently, are you playing or not? Yes, sir. Grover trembled as he took the fourth chair, though I didn't know why he would be so afraid of a pudgy little man in a tiger print Hawaiian shirt. You do know how to play pinochle, Mr. D. eyed me suspiciously. I'm afraid not, I said. I'm afraid not, sir, he said. Sir. I repeated. I was like an like in a camp director less and less. Well, you know, what I mean. it is along with Gladiator fighting a Pac-Man, one of the greatest games ever invented by humans. I would expect all civilized young men to know the rules. I'm sure the boy can learn, Sharon said. Please? I said. What is this place? What am I doing here? Mr Burn. Sharon, why would you go to Yancey Academy just to teach me? Mr. D snorted. I asked the same question. The camp director dealt the cards, whoever flinched every time one landed in his paw. Sharon smiled at me sympathetically, the way he used to in that class, as if to let me know that no matter what my average was, I was still, I was a star student. He expected me to have the right answer. Percy, he said, did your mother tell you nothing? She said, I remember her side eyes looking out over the sea. She told me she was afraid to send me here, even though my father had wanted her to. She said that once I was here, I probably couldn't leave. She wanted to keep me close to her. Typical, Mr. D said. That's how they usually get killed. Young man, are you bidding or not? What? I asked. He explained impatiently how you bid and be nickel. And so I did. I'm afraid there's too much to tell, Chiron said. I'm afraid our usual orientation film won't be sufficient. Orientation film? I asked. No, Chiron decided. Well, Percy. You know your friend, Grover, is a satyr. You know, he pointed to the horn in the shoebox, that you have killed a minotaur. No small feat either, lad. What you may not know is that great powers are at work in your life. Gods, the forces you call the Greek gods, are very much alive. I stared at the others around the table. I waited for somebody to yell, not, but all I got was Mr. D yelling. "'Oh, royal marriage, trick, trick!' "'He cackled as he tallied up his points. "'Mr. D,' Grover asked timely, "'if you're not going to eat it, "'can I have your Diet Coke can?' "'Uh, oh, all right.' "'Grover bit a huge shard out the empty aluminum can "'and chewed it mournfully. "'Wait,' I told Sharon, "'you're telling me there's such a thing as God?' Well, no, Chiron said. God, capital G, God. There's a different matter altogether. We shouldn't deal with the metaphysical. Metaphys- metaphysical? But you were just talking about, ah, uh, gods, plural. As in, great beings that control the forces of nature and human endeavors, the immortal gods of Olympus? That's a smaller matter. Smaller? Yes, quite. The gods we discussed in Latin class. Zeus, I said. Hera, Apollo, you mean them? And there it was again, distant thunder on a cloudless day. Young man, said Mr. Dean. I would really be less casual about throwing those names around if I were you. But they're stories, I said. They're myths. To explain lightning and the seasons and stuff. They're what people believed before there was science. Science? Mr. D scoffed. And tell me, Perseus Jackson. I flinched when he said my real name, which I never told anybody. What will people think of your science 2,000 years from now? Mr. D continued. Hmm. They will call it pr- primitive mumbo jumbo. That's what. Oh. I love mortals. They have absolutely no sense of perspective. They think they've come so far. And have they, Sharon? Look at this boy and tell me. I wasn't liking Mr. D much, but there was something about the way he called me mortal, as if he wasn't. It was enough to put a lump in my throat to suggest why Grover was dutifully minding his cards, chewing his soda can, and keeping his mouth shut. Percy, Sharon said, you may choose to believe or not, but the fact is that immortal means immortal. Can you imagine that for a moment, never dying, never fading, existing just as you are for all time? I was about to answer off the top of my head that it sounded like a pretty good deal, but the tone of Sharon's voice made me hesitate. You mean whether people believed in you or not, I said. Exactly, Sharon agreed. If you were a god, how would you like being called a myth, an old story to explain lightning? What if I told you, Perseus Jackson, that someday people will call you a myth, just created to explain how little boys can get over losing their mothers. My heart pounded. He was trying to make me angry for some reason, but I wasn't gonna let him. I said, I wouldn't like it, but I don't believe in gods. Oh, you better, Mr. D murmured, before one of them incinerates you. Grover said, please, sir. He just lost his mother. He's in shock. A lucky thing too, Mr. D grumbled, playing a card. Bad enough, I'm confined to this miserable job working with boys who don't even believe. He waved his hand and a goblet appeared on the table as if the sunlight had bent momentarily and woven the air into glass. The goblet filled itself with red wine. My jaw dropped, but Sharon hardly looked up. Mr. D, he warned, your restrictions. Mr. D looked at the wine and finished surprised. Dear me, he looked at Scotty and yelled, old habits, sorry. More thunder. Mr. D waved his hand again and and the wine glass changed into a fresh can of Diet Coke. He sighed unhappily, happily popped the the top of the soda and went back to his card game. Sharon winked at me. Mr. D offended his father a while back, took a fancy to a wood nymph who had been declared off-limits. A wood nymph? I repeated, still staring at the Diet Coke can like it was from outer space. Yes, Mr. D confessed. Father loves to punish me. The first time, probation. ghastly, absolutely horrid 10 years. The second time, well, she was pretty and I couldn't stay away. The second time he sent me here, half blood hill. Summer camp for breasts like you. Be a better influence, he told me. Work with youth, rather than tearing them down. Ha. Absolutely unfair. Mr. D sounded about six years old, like a pouting little kid. And, I stammered, your father is? d a Mordats. she Mr. D said, I thought you taught this boy the basics. My father is Zeus, of course. And I ran through D names from Greek mythology. Wine, the skin of a tiger, the sages that all seem to work here the way Grover cringed as if Mr. D was his master. You're Dionysus, I said, the god of wine. Mr. D rolled his eyes. What do they say, these it's Grover? Do the children say, well, duh? Y- yes, Mr. D. Then, well, duh, Percy Jackson. Did you think I was Aphrodite, perhaps? You're a god? Yes, child. A god, you? He turned to look at me straight on, and I saw a kind of purplish fire in his eyes, a hint that this whiny, plump little man was only showing me the tiniest bit of his true nature. I saw visions of grapevines choking unbelievers to death, drunken warriors insane with battle lust, sailors screaming at their hands as their hands turned to flippers, their faces elongating into dolphin snouts. I knew that if I pushed him, Mr. D would show me worse things. He would plant a disease in my brain that would leave me wearing a straight jacket in a rubber room for the rest of my life. Would you like to test me, child? He said quietly. No, sir. The fire died a little. He turned back to his card game. I believe I win. Not quite, Mr. D. Chiron said. He set down a straight, tallied points, and said... Game goes to me. I thought Mr. D was going to vaporize Sharon right out of his wheelchair, but he he just sighed through his nose as if he were used to being beaten by the Latin teacher. He got up, and Grover rose too. I'm tired, Mr. D said. I believe I'll take a nap before the sing along tonight, but first, Grover, we need to talk. Again. About your less than perfect performance on this assignment. Grover's face beaded with sweat. Yes, sir. Mr. D turned to me. Cabin 11, Percy Jackson. And mind your manners. He swept into the farmhouse, Grover following miserably. Will Grover be okay? asked Sharon. Sharon nodded, though he looked a bit troubled. Old Dionysus isn't really mad. He just hates his job. He's been... Uh, grounded, I guess you would say, and he can't in waiting another century before he's allowed to go back to Olympus. <clears throat> Mount Olympus, I said? You're telling me there really is a palace there? Well, no. There's Mount Olympus in Greece, and then there's the home of the gods, the convergence point of their powers, which did indeed used to be on Mount Olympus, it's still called Mount Olympus out of respect to the Awaits, but the palace moves, Percy, just as the gods do. You mean the Greek gods are here, like in America? Well, certainly, the gods move with the heart of the West. The what? Come now, Percy, what you call Western civilization. Do you think it's just an abstract concept? No, it's a living force. A collective, collective consciousness that has burned bright for thousands of years. The gods are part of it. You might even say they are the source of it. Or, at least, they are tied so tightly to it that they couldn't possibly fade. Not unless all of Western civiliz- civilization was obliterated. The fire started in Greece. Then, as you will know, or... I hope you know. Since she passed my course, the heart of the fire moved to Rome, and so did the gods. Oh, different names. Perhaps Jupiter for Zeus, Venus for Aphrodite, and so on. But the same forces, the same gods. And then they died. Died? No. Did the west die? The gods simply moved to Germany, to France, to Spain for a while. Wherever the flame was brightest, the gods were there. They spent several centuries in England. All you need to do is look at the architecture. People do not forget the gods. Every place they ruled for the last 3,000 years, you can see them in paintings and statues on the most important buildings. And yes, Percy, of course, they are now in your United States. Look at your symbol. The ego of Zeus. Look at the statue of Prometheus in Rockefeller Center. The great facades of your government buildings in Washington. I defy you to find any American city where the Olympians are not permanently displayed in multiple places. Like it or not, and believe me, plenty of people weren't very fond of Rome either. America is now the heart of the flame. It is the great power of the West. And so Olympus is here. And we are here. My camera went out of focus. It was all too much, especially the fact that I seemed to be included in Sharon's we, as if we were some part of club. Who are you, Sharon? Who, who am I? Sharon smiled. He shifted his weight as if they were going to get up out of his wheelchair but I knew that was impossible. He was paralyzed from the waist down. Who are you, he mused. Well, that's the question we all want answered, isn't it? But for now, we should get you a buck in cabin 11. There will be new friends to meet and plenty of time for lessons tomorrow. Besides, there will be s'mores at the campfire tonight and I simply adore chocolate. And then he did rise from his wheelchair. But there was something odd about the way he did it. His blanket fell away from his legs, but the legs didn't move. His waist kept getting longer, rising above his belt. At first, I thought he was wearing very long white velvet underwear. But as he kept rising out of the chair, taller than any man, I realized the velvet underwear wasn't underwear, it was the front of an animal. animal muscle. It snewed under coarse, white fur. And the wheelchair wasn't a chair. It was some kind of container, an enormous box on wheels, and it must have been magic, because there's no way it could have held all of him. A leg came out, long and knobby need and a huge polished hoof, then another front leg, then hindquarters, and the box was empty, nothing but a metal shell with a couple of fake human legs attached. I stared at the horse who had just sprung from the wheelchair, a huge white stallion. But where its neck should be was the upper body of my latin teacher, smoothly grafted to the horse's trunk. What a relief, the centaur said. I've been cooped up in there so long my fetlocks have fallen asleep. Now come, Percy Jackson. Let's meet the other campers.